thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day that you have given us. Thank you for your extravagant love poured upon us every moment of the day. Thank you, Lord, that we can meet together this morning and look into your word together and allow it to speak to us and minister life to our hearts. May we embrace it with all that we are so that it can change us and improve our living. In Jesus' name, amen. First, I was thinking, well, maybe we should do something for Thanksgiving rather than just continue. And then I thought, this is the reason for Thanksgiving is the cross. We sing that, thank you for the cross, thank you for the cross, thank you for the cross. And that's why we have Thanksgiving, is because of the cross. And so today we're looking at that segment of Jesus' life, what he said, what were the words that he spoke, and how thankful we can be that he was willing. You know, in the garden we're going to see there the words he spoke. Lord, Father, if this is possible to do this some other way, it's certainly, there's nothing easy or sweet or nice about it. He just became the sacrifice. And how thankful we will be throughout the ages of eternity. So I think it was so as I contemplated, I thought, well, this is actually perfectly appropriate. So we'll keep going. Okay, so we're going to pick up in John 14. Now Jesus knows that they're going to have, their hearts are going to have a lot of reason to be troubled. A lot of a lot of cause for for being disturbed and troubled. So what does he say to them? Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. It implies, of course, that we have a choice about letting our heart be troubled or not letting our heart be troubled. And you know, when we're in dire circumstances, tragedy, horrible days. We have to make a choice. That's not easy, is it? It's not easy. Our heart is troubled. And we have to, we have to actually, with all that is within us, allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts and lives. It does demonstrate to those around us that we trust the God who we profess to trust. And so, Jesus wisely says to them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Now this this, the words that he used here, he again, he used with purpose. I've told you this before. This is, was what was said to the fiancé the, the, when, the, when the bridegroom wanted to get married to his wife or his wife-to-be. He would say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, because what they typically did was go to their father's house and build on, build on another section so that they... They could live there, go get their wife, and come and live there and have a place for her. So, okay, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In other words, I'm going to my father's house, and I'm going to build on and make a place for you. <laughs> then I'm going to come back and get you. 
That was the idea. And the, and the meanwhile, the woman waited until she was preparing now. She knew that it was set. The de- you know, that if they, they did dowry, sometimes they did that in those, in that culture. Well, that was all set. And she knew that when he, the, her husband-to-be was going, was finished preparing that place, adding on that room, that he was going to come and get her. She didn't know exactly, usually the exact minute, but she was to prepare. And she started preparing. And so this is the picture that Jesus uses for us to understand that he's gone to prepare a place for us, but he's coming back to get us. That's wonderful, isn't it? We're going to be reunited one day forever, going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're his bride. Hallelujah. And bride has desire to be with her bridegroom. And so we need to make sure that our hearts, that's what our desire is. There's so much in the world that clamors for our desire. And we have to stir up that desire and keep it focused on the bridegroom, the heavenly bridegroom. I'm going to be with him forever. He's preparing a place for me so that we can be united one day. Hallelujah. Jesus says this to his disciples, of course, because he's going away. There's going to come separation. They've been together. They've walked together for three and a half years. And he knows that this is going to rock their boat, so to speak. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, he says, yo, Thomas, anybody home? (laughs) You've been walking with me. I am the way. (laughs) You're looking at it. If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words, now look at this is what we're studying here, the word of his power and the power of his word. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So where were his words coming from? Words are coming from the Father. He and the Father were one. He was the true representative of the Father. So the words they were hearing were words from heaven, words spoken from eternity. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do we believe it? That's what Jesus said. This is not something that somebody's like making up and saying, well, I think that this, that's what this means. Jesus said it flat out. You ask me, and whatever you ask my, in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do we have that confidence? Do we know that? When we pray, he hears us. Jesus said at one point when he was at Lazarus' tomb, I'm not praying because I didn't think you don't know what's going on or didn't hear me. 
I'm saying this for the people so that they, I know that you hear me always. We need to know. Jesus knew that union with his father was there, was intimate, was perfect. And we, when we know in our gut, he hears us. So therefore, the answers are on the way. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've heard me. I thank you that you've heard my prayers. I thank you that those answers are on the way. I'm looking forward to those answers. You remember, uh, some of you, a couple of years back, we, my husband and I did a little skit about uh, Widow Fulljoy and Adam Slowman. And Widow Fulljoy lived on Expectation Corner. And she was always expecting the answers to be pulling up to her door. And the wagon loads from the redeemed land, if you remember the little allegory, were always pulling up to her door and she was always getting deliveries. And Adam Slowman, his pipes were clogged and the windows were all dirty and he was always grumbling and complaining, poor me, and I don't have what she has, but I'm not... What was the problem? He wasn't He wasn't less favored. His, he just had all his pipes clogged. And he, <laughs> he needed to get his pipes unclogged and he needed to start looking for the delivery truck. When he got his pipes all cleared and, and started uh, praising God and thanking him that the answers were on the way, the delivery truck started rolling up to his house too. And that's the way it works. That's plain and simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Again, Jesus doesn't say this without purpose. He knows the separation is coming. They're going to feel like orphans. But they're not going to be orphans because of the power of the Holy Spirit. A little while longer in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Here, that's about words, isn't it? He who keeps my commandments and who has my commandments and keeps them. Jesus gave some commandments. What were the commandments? Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Judas Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. There we have it, plain as day. Jesus cared very much about what we do with his word, didn't he? Very much. This was towards the end now, and we I said to you, I believe it was last week, you know, as a person gets to near the end of their life, you want to hear those words, don't you? You kind of cling to those to those last words and remember what they were. Well, these these are what they were. These things have I spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. Here he goes again, preparing them, preparing them. You know, God is so faithful. If you look back in your life and you think back to points before stuff happened, you can honestly say, you know, I didn't know it at the time, 
But God was preparing me. He was imparting help to me that I he knew I was going to need for what was coming next. Peace I leave with you. Did they need peace? Most assuredly. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let Here again, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. They were going to be troubled and they were going to be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. All right, and then he goes into, we have the, then about the vine. You are, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then in, in chapter 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By, it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And then in 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be partial. A little bit, some, have a little joy, every once in a while, a little spurt. No, that your joy may be full, 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 full. If the sacrifice at Calvary doesn't fill our cup to overflowing with joy and rejoicing, I don't know what will do it. Certainly stuff doesn't do that. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Okay, he lays it out pretty pretty, pretty plain and simple. In 16, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. And he tells them, you're, you're going to have cause to stumble. And then later on in uh, 12, verse 12 there, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. So he's, he's setting the stage for them that there's, you know, that things are changing. And getting them ready to be able to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and understand that His Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell them and guide them and instruct them and be with them in a way that it hasn't been up to this point. Don't forget, Jesus knows harvest day is coming. Here's His first fruits. He's presenting them to the Father and Harvest day is coming. Pentecost. Pentecost is coming. In um, Okay, we're still in uh, John 16. John 16 and verse 35. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. <laughs> Hello? In the world you will have tribulation. Do we hear that? In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We don't hear that in the gospel that's preached today, do we? 
Send me your money and you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise and all kind of God's blessed chickens will be flying in your window and turkeys and, and Lamborghinis and... <laughs> Eat them! <laughs> Prosperity, you know? And it's true. God blesses and prospers those who walk with him and those who are obedient, those who keep his word. God blesses and prospers, absolutely. But to say, to preach the gospel that all is going to be well, no, no, no problems, nothing, you know, everything's going to be hunky-dory, just send me your money, just come, you know, believe this, believe that. Well, that's not what it says here, is it? These things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we need to be careful that we don't buy into the lie that the world sells that as a Christian you won't have any any problems. All your problems are over. No, that's not what the Bible says. You will have tribulation. The good news is we will have peace. That passes understanding. And we have God. And the Holy Spirit indwells us so we can walk through it. Amen. We can be in the fire and not be burned. We can be in the water and not be drowned. Doesn't mean it's not happening. Doesn't mean that we're exempt from all of life. No. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We have hope. We have a future. We're not living for this world. Too much emphasis placed in our world on the, on now, the temporal, on succeeding now. This is not what it's all about. We'll have a heavenly home we're, we're headed for. And we need to be laying up treasure in heaven, working for eternity, working for eternity, laying down our life, pouring out our life, giving our all. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's, it's not easy. It's inconvenient. It's stressful. It's whatever you want to say. It is. Truth be told, if you're really working for the kingdom, you're laying down your life. It's being poured out like a sacrifice on the altar. It's not easy, but is it worth it? Huh. Hallelujah. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Is it worth it? Hope to tell you it's worth it. You're going to be with him forever in a place that when you read the description of what heaven is like, wow, is it worth it? Rather live in a hut here and have a mansion there than to have a mansion here and be burned in hell for all eternity. And it's a matter of life and death. And so we have to have a passion for pouring out our life. This is what Jesus is, is approaching here. He's approaching this point where he's, he's literally going to be poured out like a, a sacrifice, like an animal. Sacrifice like an animal on the altar. And then in 17... Again, we just see his heart here. I, this, this chapter so moves me because here we see Jesus just pouring out his heart over his disciples. Yes, well, I'm sure the Holy Spirit helped him. Jesus spake these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and then he prays over them. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. We won't, can't read it all. But in, in verse 8, For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. 
You understand? This is what it was about. They had heard his, he had given them his words and they had received them. This was precious to his heart. Jesus is talking about this in the last moments that he has with them. That's how precious it was to his heart. You don't talk about trivia when you're dying usually, right? When you're on your deathbed. Here he is. He's, he knows he's about to be sacrificed. And what's he saying? I have given them your word and they have received it. And they have known that I came forth for you and they have believed in you. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours. In other words, he's entrusting them here. He knows the agony. He knows the the turmoil. He knows what's coming. And they don't. And he's saying, Father, here, here's my first fruits. Please, have, hold on to them. They need to get to harvest day. I've brought them this far. Now, care for them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. I think he, he wished almost he could. He could, like, just remove them for a little bit. But he said, no, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world but that you would keep them from the evil one. You see his heart here. His heart is like, God, Father, keep them. What's going to happen to them now? They're, you know, going to be scattered and torn. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. There we are included as well. Long, right? Far out. Long out. Yep. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And then, Father, I desire, you see his desire here, that I that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Some people think that, you know, salvation and redemption was an afterthought. After Adam and Eve sinned, then God came up with this idea. No, it says he was the lamb slain, from the foundation of the world. You loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you sent me, and I declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Just this tremendous outpouring of his heart of love over his disciples that he's labored with and sowed himself into, poured out his life over, over three and a half years, praying and believing that they'll get it. <laughs> that they'll get it. And that's what he's looking for in our lives too. That we'll get it. That we'll bear fruit. That we'll accept his word. That we'll embrace his word. That we'll live his word. We'll lay up treasure in heaven. We won't get caught up in the kingdoms of this world because they're all coming down. They're all passing away. They're crumbling. We see them crumbling, don't we? We see them crumbling. All right. And then they go out to Gethsemane together. 
And he began to say to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and he began to pray, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I've said to you this to you many times. We see this even when he taught them how to pray. They wanted to know how to pray. Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So much of what we hear in prayer today doesn't begin there. Doesn't even ever get there. It's all about commanding and demanding and rebuking and binding and no don't misunderstand me there's a time to rebuke the devil and to bind up evil powers that that that's part of prayer of course but our our attitude has to be one of i've said this to you many times of that bowing and you are god and i submit myself in this situation to your authority and to what you see is best Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Here, Jesus is facing the most horrible kind of death imagined by man and still able to say, your will, not mine. Wow. It's a lifelong lesson. It's not something we learn in a day or a minute or a month or a year. It's a daily taking up our cross and following him, isn't it? Because our flesh is strong. Our flesh wants its own way. Our flesh thinks it knows best. Our flesh wants to say, you know, if that person would just do this, and if this one would just do that, and if God would just do this, and yes, hello, we're not God. Have you noticed? He didn't move off the throne and say, you know, I, I really think you, you need to do this job. No. No. He's God. Do I believe that? Does my living exhibit that I believe that God is in control and he does know what he's doing and he does have good plans and thoughts and designs and I'm going to allow him to be God in my life and allow him to have his will fulfilled in and through me. It's a lifelong training camp that we're in for sure. His disciples on the other hand in this hour of funny but you know it's so typical of our human nature we get all stirred up and you know oh yeah lord whatever you know like peter said uh we know that you are the christ the son of the living god well that was great but here he is in crisis and he says could you like help me out here could you watch with me for an hour could you pray with me and what happens to them they fall asleep oh there's so much i could say about that May we not fall asleep in the hour of crucial need when God needs us. It's a dark hour in our world. God needs us not to be falling asleep and missing all the opportunities that he presents us with, but to be grabbing hold of them with all that we have, to be pouring out our life and giving it all to him and saying, I surrender all, not my will, but thine be done. Here I am at your beck and call. Show me, lead me. Help me not to be so worried about my own self and convenience, but help me to be engaged, alive, awake. The night is coming when no man can work. There's coming a time where time will be no more and no more opportunity. Time will be no more. Do we have that urgency? They didn't have that urgency here, did they? And here Jesus is struggling and struggling. It's a spiritual battle for sure. It's a horrible battle. 
It's a grueling battle. It's so intense that he begins to sweat drops of blood. And we're worried about what? When's the last time we were so engaged in warfare over the work that he's entrusted to us that we've sweat? Just saying. Walking with Christ, following him, is not a stroll in the park. It's not a picnic. It's warfare. It's sacrifice. It's commitment. And it's pouring out our life all day long. And behold, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders. Now his betrayer had given him a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Jesus still calls him friend, doesn't he? Wow. Then they came and they took Jesus and Peter goes and chops off somebody's ear and Jesus says, put your sword away. Don't you think I can call? Now pray to my father and he will provide me with 12 legions of angels. But how then could the scripture be fulfilled? Jesus knew purposefully. He didn't. There's things he didn't say here on purpose because he knew that the scriptures needed to be fulfilled. He knew he needed to be the sacrifice for sin. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple. You didn't need to bring swords to seize me. But all this is done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all, look at the brave, burly fishermen, brave disciples. Then all the disciples, what? Forsook him and fled mighty warriors. (laughs) They were scared. He knew. He understood. But you know, we need to be, we need to ask God to help us that in that hour of trial, we won't forsake him and flee. We'll stand and we'll be true. We can only do that by his grace. We don't have it in us. None of us. But he can empower us. And if we embrace his word, he can make us strong that we'll be able to stand in the day of trial. So then, of course, they take him. And even as we read through the trial, we see there that, you know, they were trying to twist his words. They couldn't even get two people to agree against him. I mean, that's how messed up they were. (laughs) You know, you would think that if you were going to do this, at least you would have told two people the same thing so that they could come out with the same story. But they they couldn't even... Because, why? Because his words had been wonderful words, beautiful words, words of life, words of deliverance, words of compassion, words of love. It was pretty hard to twist them up to mean something that they didn't. And then they kept on with all of their false words, and Jesus didn't say, I didn't say that, I said this, I didn't say that. Jesus didn't do that, did he? He just let them go on. He was a lamb, like a lamb brought to the slaughter. So he opened not his mouth. And so they were getting frustrated because they were kind of spinning their wheels. And the high priest arose and said to him, Don't you answer anything? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. See, that was the rub. 
That was the rub. Is he the Christ, the Son of the living God? Is he the Messiah? If he admits that he's the Messiah, then we can, we can get him for blasphemy. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they said, he's worthy of death. So see, the Jewish the Sanhedrin and all, they had to find him guilty of something before they could drag him to the Romans. And so here, this is what the charade that they go through. So what is it, what is it that they hang on Jesus? His words, right? That he had said, I am the Christ, I am. I am the Messiah. Okay, and then, of course, we have Peter's dialogue, and we see there that when Peter had the opportunity to say, yes, I was, I am one of Jesus' disciples, and say those words, he stepped away from it, didn't he? And again, like I just got finished saying, but for the grace of God, that's what we all would do. We need the grace of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit that when we're in that crunch time, we'll stand up and say, yes, I am one of Jesus' disciples. And um, Jesus heard the, heard the last time. And then they tried to, they, then they, they made a mock out of him. They, they pretend, set him up like a king and they were, they were mocking him. And he didn't say anything then. And then they questioned him to take him to the high priest and Jesus, they questioned him and he said, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. In secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? And those who have heard me, what I said to them, indeed, they know what I said. Then, that's right, that's what you're saying, uh, Brandon. And, and then when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like this? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? And then they sent him bound to Caiaphas. Okay, and, and then, of course, uh, eventually um, he's handed over to Pilate. And he has an interesting dialogue with Pilate, too, doesn't he? Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you king of the Jews? As Pilate is getting a little nervous, because his wife sent in, told him, I had a dream, don't do nothing to that man. And they were very superstitious. Okay, the Romans were very superstitious. And a dream was caused to alter your behavior, for sure. Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered not a word. And uh, he also said to him, What is truth? What is truth? Okay, start in 31. Then Pilate said to him, You take him and judge him according to your Lord. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And then Pilate entered the praetorium and called Jesus and said to him, here we go, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself or did somebody else tell you this? Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate said to him, are you a king then? Jesus said, yes. I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. 
That's why some people can't hear their voice, because they don't believe the truth, and they don't embrace the truth, and they don't know the truth. In order to hear God's voice, you have to embrace the truth, don't you? You have to be in relationship. People who are hearing voices and not in relationship and don't know the word of God, they're not hearing God's voice, okay? They're hearing voices. I believe they are, but they're not God's voice. There's a lot of voices in this world, a lot, a lot. And there are people running around who think they're hearing from God, and they're not. They're hearing they're hearing familiar spirits speaking to them, and it often sounds sweet, and it sounds, it twists the word of God, and it, and it uses words that sound spiritual, but it's not God's voice. The only way we know is by being in the word and walking with God. We know his voice. We know the truth. We know what's truth. We know what's not truth. We can discern it. Can't do it unless you know his words. We gotta be careful because we live in a world that even in the, even so-called Christians are, are hearing a lot of voices, but they're not God's voice. My kingdom were of this world, I would fight. He said to them, are you king? Everyone is such, and then Jesus said, for this reason I was born and came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who was the truth hears my voice. Pilate says, what is truth? See? He wasn't, he, he wasn't in that place to understand even what was truth. And so then he goes out and he says, I find no fault in him and he washes his hands and I thought we'd get further, but that's okay. It was all good. So let's embrace the truth and walk in the truth and allow ourselves to be Pour it out as a sacrifice. Take up our cross daily and follow him. Jesus, help us, Lord. We don't have it within ourselves, but we do love you, and we want to give ourselves to you wholeheartedly, Lord. And so help us. Give us more grace. Fill us more mightily with your Holy Spirit, even this day, that we'll be empowered to run the race and to finish the course and not to draw back, but to be counted as those who love you and will give our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen.